This is the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast. More money or more success in your business is great, but it's going to give you more options. And I try to compare this to like computer shopping. If you've ever gone computer shopping, if you only have $500 to work with, you don't have a ton of options. And so it won't take you very long. But if you have a call it an unlimited or three or $4,000 budget to work with to buy a computer, well, now you've just opened up Pandora's box and you're going to look at every single computer, every option, every gig of RAM, every hard drive, every uh, uh, motherboard, all these options are going to just give you more problems and could delay the speed in which you move. You're listening to the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast, where we discuss tangible tips, tricks, and best practices for becoming financially free. The show is designed for people who want to either start real estate investing or for those who want to scale their real estate business. What's up, guys? I'm your host, Jonathan Farber. I hope you guys are well and healthy. For any first-time listeners, thank you guys for being here. I really appreciate it. The goal of this show is to explore ways to become financially free through real estate or to increase passive cash flow through real estate. A little bit about myself. I work in corporate America at a software company, and my side hustle is real estate. I currently own eight units, a mix of small multifamily and short-term rentals, aka Airbnb. I've house hacked, bird, flipped, and as mentioned, short-term rentals to name a few strategies. I love to network, so hit me up on any platform, Facebook, LinkedIn, Bigger Pockets, Instagram, or just search Jonathan Farber Real Estate and you should find me. Also, if you are not already in the exclusive Facebook group, this is where I post most and do a lot of behind the scenes content of sharing deals, strategies, and systems. See you there. This episode is sponsored by Infinite Road Destinations, the smartest short-term rental property management group I know and the group that manages my properties. This is a company that's very close to my heart, run by two of the smartest, most attentive people I know, Claire Rosenberg and Alex Brashears. Claire and I first met when we worked together at NetApp, where she was a top performer and rose crazy fast in the company. And Alex is just one of the most active, genuine people I know in the real estate space. The two of them together bring a blended background of project management, software design, and extensive experience with automation tools and virtual assistants. Through these experiences, they optimize any property to deliver a hands-off experience to owners while delivering the highest occupancy and highest daily rates possible. You guys know I would not recommend anything to anyone in this group that I do not fully endorse or think that is the absolute best product. And this company is that. And like I said before, this is the exact company and people that manage my Airbnbs. If you don't believe me, here are a few of the other tools and services that come along with the team. Listing optimization, guest support and approval, communication and reservations, key exchange and management, dynamic pricing, welcome kit creation, listing advertising and marketing, vendor management, including cleaners, maintenance, handymen, runners, and monthly property reports. To learn more, check out shorttermmadeeasy.com or email info at shorttermmadeeasy.com. And on the forum, just mention that you heard it here or mention my name. So give it a try. You have nothing to lose and they offer a satisfaction guarantee. And I assure you guys, you will not be disappointed. What's going on, guys? Today, we have an awesome episode in part of, I guess, our repeat series with John Scholler. John is based in Charleston, West Virginia. He's become a friend, a confidant, someone that I just really admire in real estate and business and family. Like he's just, he's a great guy, but doing a lot of different things just in entrepreneurship outside of just real estate. Like he owned a gym and bought and sold that. And now just doing a lot of other things with YouTube and just basically trying to help as many people as possible. So uh, we really hit it off. He's been on the show before. 
I should probably know that. I don't know the number, but we'll link whatever show number he was on. He was one of the earlier guests. So also appreciate him coming on for that. But his background is flipping houses. He's flipped over 150 houses using private money. He's got other businesses. Like I mentioned, a gym. He's got a consulting business. Um, now he's got a growing YouTube channel between, between him and his wife. They have about 50,000 subscribers. So just like a great kind of a rounded understanding of business and real estate that I think can help anyone listening that's trying to grow in any of those areas. So we talk about a lot of stuff. The main topic that I uh, asked him about just selfishly, but it's been so, I think, top of mind for the group as well. And he is an expert on this. Like I, I didn't even mention that in his uh, like bio, but he's an expert in budgeting. So we talked a lot about the concept of setting up your budget, the tools, the strategies, the tactics, um, how he thinks you should have how many credit cards tied to how many LLCs, to how many bank accounts. So we just kind of cover a broad spec there. But I think we'll also be putting out some more content on budgeting and specific topics that he wants to talk about. So look out for that. If you have any questions on budgeting, feel free to just drop a comment on the episode in the Facebook group or just shoot me a DM, but uh, just really good stuff. So look out for that. Today's tangible tip. He talks about it in the show, but it's part of his like core business. If you're spending money on food, he thinks in your business, you should be spending money on a bookkeeper and an accountant right after that. And for the reason that these people can help you save so much more money than you could ever spend on them and can also prevent you from getting in serious trouble potentially or uh, losing money in, in like bad ways. So basically um, he talks a lot about how to find them or just like how he got kind of his footing with his. But even if you don't want to spend a lot of money or you don't think you need someone full-time, you can find a bookkeeper on Upwork. I've mentioned this before, but we found someone, I'll give her a shout out here, uh, Brittany Harpole Snyder. She's in the Facebook group. She's my personal bookkeeper and she's phenomenal. And I think she's either 15 or $20 an hour. And every week we just do a weekly 15 minute sync. We go over all the accounts. We just make sure the money is flowing properly. And she's helped me understand how money moves and how finances work. So I definitely recommend you guys spend some time doing that. You could just put a post on Upwork today and you will find people that could do it for less than $20 an hour. And regardless of if they even actually help you like with books, they'll teach you so much about finances and bookkeeping that it's worth it right there in itself. So awesome episode today with John Scholler. Enjoy guys. All right, John, what is going on, man? I'm excited to have you on for part two. How you been? Good, man. I'm glad you had me back on. I'm excited to be on today. Yeah, I guess that means you did something right on the first one. I do remember we got a lot of positive feedback in your episode, man. And uh, just from everything from YouTube to flipping to personal budgeting to investing with a partner and a spouse, it's just been um, just a cool journey to follow, but also all the content you're putting out and kind of showing people behind the scenes. And that's kind of what we were talking about before hitting record, I felt like we were going in so many topics already, just catching up, just being friends. And, uh, you know, we had to hit the button. So, um, you don't have to go too deep into the, how you got into real estate. If you want to kind of give a high level on that, but people can go back and listen to the first episode, but from a high level, I would just love to hear maybe, you know, if you touched on that, but then also what's been kind of the focus for you the last year, we were talking also before we hit kind of record that I, I saw for new year's, you posted some different types of goals this year. So I'd just love to hear kind of what's been going on during COVID, what's top of mind and, you know, kind of catch us up to speed. Yeah. So I guess just um, if I'm going to hit the highlights, I've been an entrepreneur for now going on like 14 years. Uh, I used to be proud of saying an extra number every year, but now I feel like I'm just getting old. <laughs> so, so I've been an entrepreneur ever since I was 2021, 20, uh, had some successful businesses. I exited those. And then I ended up taking that money and wanting to get into real estate. I met my now business partners about four, year, four years ago. It was not about 
it was four years ago on March 1st when I joined up with them. So we're just a year and a, what, a week past that. And since then we flipped over 150 houses together. We have some rentals. We have over hundred RTOs in another business. Um, and I'm, I'm attached to them in various aspects and capacities, uh, but my main roles are CEO and CFO of AM Investments, where we do the flips. We do all that with private money and it's been great. And my wife and I are some of the private investors inside of that company. So it's been a win-win for that. Mm -hmm. uh, but as of the last year or so, um, flips are transactional and they're great for building capital. But I'm at kind of not the end. I don't want to say I'm at the end. You know, I, I don't have $100 million or something. But the, the transactional or capital building stage is fun for a while. But you eventually just want to put that money to work and get out of the transactional phase and more into the passive phase. And my wife and I are personally working out with our own rental portfolio. But I think we want to take that private money, put it to work for longer and start holding some of these assets because we're going to want all 150 of those houses back one day. We're going to wish we had every single one of those in a portfolio. And in addition to that, I've probably had six or seven side businesses when you add up YouTube and uh, now you got more than money, but you had the gym. I sold the gym. I don't know if you know that, but I sold my CrossFit gym, uh, my 50% stake at the end of last year. So I'm looking to, I want to say slow down, but also that's lying to myself. I, I want to uh, refocus my energy on things that I'm more passionate about and things that give me more bang for my buck uh, time-wise, especially if we're gonna talk about the financial gain from it. And also I have a, I have a daughter now. So uh, I think she was maybe with us on, this, on the last episode, but we are officially adopting here within the next month or so. So she's been with us for a year and almost a year and a half. Mm. And so I just wanna focus on that and my wife and uh, yeah, just building more passive income. That's awesome, man. Yeah, that's... That's kind of what I remember seeing on that post that this year was more about family and prioritizing, um, not in the sense that you're not going to make more money along the way, but it's just funny. I also have a feeling that in doing that, you'll probably make just as much, if not more, but probably be a little happier, more like into stuff that you enjoy doing, or it's a good use of your time. Um, so it sounds like you went from, and again, some of the stuff was covered in the first episode, but it sounds like you went from more like working in the business as much and flipping just from an outsider perspective, you could tell me if this is, uh, on or off, but to now more working a little bit more on like growing things strategically, maybe like putting out more content, building more community and still doing deals. Um, but like it just more about kind of working on the business and growing it smarter and more strategically. I don't know if you're hiring anyone or kind of bringing people on to do some jobs that you were doing, but kind of remove yourself from some of the day to day and kind of, uh, work a little, a little smarter instead of maybe just as hard as you were working. Yes. And that was the plan and it was going that way. Uh, then we had a mishap at the business with our bookkeeper, uh, can't go into too many details of that, but uh, everybody's safe. All our investors are safe. It was just, it was a bookkeeping and clerical error that caused mayhem on the books. And so <laughs> right when I was trying to make this transition, we had to go in and audit the 2019. It wasn't an IRS audit. This was just through um, the accountant, but we had to go through mm -hmm. the 2019 and 2020 books and reconcile a lot of things. And so that's, that's been busy. But yes, that is the ultimate plan is to eventually step away from that. I'm actually in talks with my partners of a negotiation of where I actually, uh, right now we're at a third 
but I might reduce my third to two step away. There's even been talks of my wife and I'm uh, moving and going back to maybe Hawaii or something like that and doing some of what I do remotely. And I just fly in for quarterly meetings and stuff like that. So all these things are on the table. The timing was a little bit poor from my plan to what actually happened, but mm -hmm. that is still the long-term plan. And then my wife and I have recently built more than money, which we'll talk about late, later, which has kind of been our, our new focus in building that uh, to be a more mobile business. Mm -hmm. Totally. Um, so before we move off or like dig into any of the, the content stuff, I do want to talk about some of the like topics that, that I had just teed up, which were flipping, budgeting, and then uh, content and communities. So the first one, um, in the flipping business now, I'd love to hear from you, at whatever you know capacity you feel like you're in it now, what the hardest part of a flip is at your level, you know, because I think for a beginner, it's, I, I don't know how to find a deal. Or I don't know how to find money, but I feel like the problems might be the same, or they might just be different versions of the same problem. So uh, I'd be curious for you in your day-to-day -day as a flipper and that, and that background, what, what now is the biggest challenge or hardest part of flipping houses for you? I would say it's just kind of maintaining the system. Uh, also, I'm in a partnership and, you know, I love my partners like brothers, but at the end of the day, they are like brothers. And I tell partnerships are like roommates. Everybody has different goals and ambitions and ideas of how to do things. And we've ironed most of those out between us, but everybody's in a different financial position. Everybody, uh, some people want to stay living here. Some people don't, you know, so you, you got to figure that out if you're in a partnership, if you're by yourself, then I would say it's just maintaining the system and keeping your focus. Remember, just like anything else in life, uh, more, more money or more success in your business is great, but it's going to give you more options. And I try to compare this to like computer shopping. If you've ever gone computer shopping, if you only have $500 to work with, you don't have a ton of options. And so it won't take you very long. But if you have a call it an unlimited or three or $4,000 budget to work with to buy a computer, well, now you've just opened up Pandora's box and you're going to look at every single computer, every option, every gig of RAM, every hard drive, every uh, uh, motherboard, all these options are going to just give you more problems and could delay in the speed in which you move. Mm. So these things can happen too. Or now you have more options and you start going, oh, well, we've mastered this $200,000 range of houses. Can we do three and $400,000 range of houses? And that becomes a new system and a new design uh, layout and higher end products and things maybe you haven't worked on before. So I would say that with growth, you're gonna, you're always gonna have growing pains and those are good. And I'm not saying don't grow. I'm just saying the more options you have, the harder it is to keep focus. And so you need to realize what got you to where you're at and keep that focus while slowly is the key word I hear, I would say, slowly building up to go on to that next level or next system. Mm. I've never heard that analogy, but that's so true. And I was just in the market for a new computer. And I know you were too, we were talking about that, but it's like, that's like so many things in life. When, when your options are limited, you can just take action and feel no regret. And it's like, uh, not knowing what it's like ignorance is bliss in a sense. Like you can't regret something that you didn't consider, but when you have so many options, even like so many houses to look at or so many strategies, I think that's crippling. That's a great point. Like, I don't think people maybe have trouble focusing. It's just like all, they all look good, but if you only knew one, I think people would be able to focus a lot easier. So that's, that's really interesting from a high level though. You mind just describing what the system looks like for your flipping business from just nothing happening to then like the start of a deal, like a, a lead being either marketed to or found and then kind of who takes over, who does what 
and, and like the timelines and, and process? Yeah, I can run you through this pretty quickly, I think. Uh, I've done it a few times now. So basically, uh, you know, we have a system now for finding leads. Uh, we're not doing bandit signs or anything like that anymore. Not that they don't work or you shouldn't do those, but we've built a, a community presence. We're pretty omnipresent. When people think of buying houses for cash, we're pretty prevalent in the area. You know, we've done enough deals now. Uh, we have enough, um, I guess, uh, foot traffic out there and word of mouth, people talking about us and we're all over the internet, you know, Instagram and Facebook. So our leads just come to us uh, through, usually through the phone. Uh, and then our office manager takes that lead and gives it to a subcontractor uh, that is our leads manager or our acquisitions team. We could have hired that in the house, but as you know, with the flipping, deals aren't always consistent. And so keeping a salary on that uh, could just be a, a substantial overhead, especially if you don't bring any deals down that month. So it's, it's, we call it, you, you eat what you kill. And so our subcontractor uh, acquisitions team gets the leads uh, through schedule once, which is our scheduling system. Kenny will book them for what we call a first look and they go out, his name is Blanks. He goes out and assesses the deal. And by now he knows what we're looking for. Is it gonna work for us or not? And he also knows the four or five exit strategies. We can wholesale it, we can rent own it. We can, we can just uh, flip it, uh, we could rent it. There's, he knows them all. And if it works the budget, if it works in any way, shape or form, then we set up what we call a second look. And this is when the owners go out to look at the property. So Steve, Andrew, myself and our project manager, Kevin, will go out there with blanks and we will do a second look. We all confirm the house, the numbers, the location. And then Andrew uh, does the uh, ARV on it and just double checks that. And then we present our offer. And we can do this multiple ways. We can partner on the house where the owner of the house leaves it in place. We can buy it for cash. Uh, or just do an assignment fee where we're just going to wholesale it. I mean, an assignment contract where we're just going to wholesale it. So we look at all of our exit strategies, but we'll just go with flip because that's what most people know us for. So we give them a cash offer. If they accept, we usually close anywhere in two to three weeks, uh, as much as a month, as little as one week. Uh, and then we take the lead in. Uh, we make sure that it goes on our in-contract board. We pick the investor. The investor sends the money to the lawyer. The lawyer then uh, locks the deal up. And if we get the rehab funds up front, we get a separate check for rehab, which goes into the account uh, for that investor. And then we uh, proceed, but we go through Rehab Valuator first. Rehab Valuator is the software we use to analyze our deals and to track them. Uh, I absolutely love Rehab Valuator. I can give you uh, in a link. It's an affiliate link. So I don't, if you want to put it out there, I can give it to you, but it's been a software yeah. that we've used in our company for going on two years now. We tried several others. This has been the most cost-effective and quite frankly, the most detailed software that we've used yet. Uh, we carry anywhere between 20 and 30 deals in the software at a time and it handles it no problem. So once we go through that, uh, the deal is ready to go. Then, then the contracting side, my partner Steve and Kevin, our project manager, take over from there, finding contractors, getting bids, setting the house up, flip it, sell it, rinse and repeat. Uh, and our investors, depending, if you're an older investor, you still get one third of the profit because that's how we started it. All of our newer investors get 10% annualized and they get a check every single month on the amount of money we borrowed. Or if they're through an IRA, it's easier just to let that interest accrue and we pay that at the end of the deal. Did I miss anything there or did I get it? <laughs> I think that was very thorough, man. I was just jotting down some notes and uh, we'll link that tool below. I remember we did it last time as well, but um, yeah, no, that's clean. And I think just for a lot of people, it's, it, it's hard to say because I think some people, they, um, 
they use not having a perfect system as an excuse to not get started. But I also do think that is a real sort of a real thing that, that you do need some framework or some system to follow. Like for me, I know I can't jump into something totally blind, but if I get like 20% of like learning and system like built, then I feel I can go a hundred percent or 150%. But if I, if I didn't have that, then I feel like I am sort of kind of locked. So I appreciate you kind of just walking through that at a high level. And then uh, we'll put the deal tool in the, the link. And, and for anyone, we'll talk about this later in the show, but for anyone who has any questions on this, one, um, John has a community as well, but also puts out so much YouTube content walking through step-by-step on this. And that's, I mean, we didn't first connect through YouTube, I don't think, but I think we first connected on just other social media. And then I saw the YouTube and just like really impressed by it, but there's just a lot on there. Um, So anyway, I I think for people that are looking to get started, actually, I'm, I'm always curious for people that are in the world of flipping or wholesaling. I'm curious, do you think, John, that there's a, a better route for a beginner, a route that you recommend between flipping and wholesaling for a beginner? I think that wholesaling is usually the number one way for most people because most people don't have the capital. That's usually, and they don't have the, uh, the track record yet to raise private money or hard money or go to the bank. So if you're just starting out, it's going to be hard to get people to lend you money. It is. I'm not saying it's impossible. You can't. Hard money is usually there if you find a good enough deal. And private money, too, if you know some people with money. But if you don't have those, those connects, then uh, starting out with a wholesale to build some capital up so you can bring some skin to the game in your first flip with a partner, I think is the way to go. And I, I, uh, I'm doing actually a course this week on wholesaling in my more than money uh, community, just because I do think that for most people, and you can do it on the side. That's another thing. Flipping, uh, flipping is kind of full time, you know, it, or at least you can do one house at a time if you have good contractors. But if you're going to try to do three or four houses, good luck doing that with a full time job. It would be really difficult, especially if you have kids and a family. Um, I'm not saying any of these things are impossible. I'm just saying they're difficult. But wholesaling, you know, you can you can go out with your wife and your kids on a Saturday, drive around, uh, knock on some doors and get some numbers off some rent to, uh, for sale by owner signs and put a list together and send that out to your investors on Sunday. And maybe you lock up 5, 10, 15, 20 grand on a weekend. Uh, it's been done. We've done it. Uh, it's easier. It's easier. What, what I just said is easier than what it actually is, but that's not too far off from how it's done. Once you understand how to wholesale and get that list together. But uh, there's no such thing as a perfect system. Don't let that hold you back. We don't have a perfect system, <laughs> but I will tell you without some type of perfect system, you're going to, it's going to cost you a lot of money. All it takes is for you to be really quick, going too quickly with no system and you don't put insurance on the house. That's all it takes. Mm. That's, you miss one step. Remember, you, there was one step to put insurance on the house. And here's the other thing you didn't do. You called your insurance agent to put the insurance on the house and you say, got you. And he hangs up and he forgets. And now you both think you have insurance and you don't. And let's say the house burns down two weeks into the project and you have $150,000 of your investors' money on the project. What are you going to do now? Mm. Right? And all that was, that was one step. That was one step. And you skipped it or you didn't ensure that it happened. You didn't what I call double tap. And now you're on the hook for, for that house and that money because your system didn't ensure that there was insurance on that property. And that's just one example. I can give a hundred. Mm, so true. Got to know your process. Got to get the big details hammered out. It's, it's great to go quick and take action. But again, some of these things need to be established before uh, or, or you're going to learn. It's just, you're going to learn in a much harder way. You know, it is what it is. 
Um, the next thing I wanted to talk about, John, and this would be almost just like I, we've done these sessions before and uh, I had some notes from that last conversation, but almost just like as if this was a call where I was calling to pick your brain on personal budgeting. Um, I'd say of, of anyone in my network, I feel like you would be one of the first people I'd call just because I know you've studied it. I know your mind kind of works that way. And um, it's just you've been through a lot of it. So I'd love to just pick your brain on some high level, like budgeting questions, business budgeting and personal budgeting questions, but uh, just kind of jump into it. So from a high level, and then I'll, I'll follow up with the questions, but from a high level, can you just kind of define like how you think about budgeting when you prepare to talk about it or for your group later or how you think about it kind of for your own life? Yeah, whether you have, um, here, here's a, here's a misnomer is that you think you have more money, you got to stop budgeting. That's, that's not the case. In fact, <laughs> you may need to get tighter because the more money you can lose, right? If you're not watching your budget, you know, let, let's say that you, uh, let's say that you're working with like uh, $10,000 a month or five, we'll say $5,000 a month and you're not watching your budget. Maybe you miss out on three, four or 500 bucks that month because you misplaced it. You didn't allocate it correctly, right? Which still sucks. I mean, you don't want to lose out on any money. But let's say you're bringing in 20, 30, $40,000 a month, right? Now you can misplace a couple grand, three, four grand. We have, we have, uh, we have sent investors. Uh, I think I can, say, I can say this because I won't say a name. But we have sent investors cashier's checks. So it's cleared our bank, all right? for over 50 grand before for profit checks. And they have misplaced them for months because they have a lot of money. And so 50 grand to them is like, I would probably say for this particular investor, 50 grand to them is like probably $5 to many of us. So misplacing 50 grand is nothing to them, but if their system was tight, they wouldn't misplace it. But the bigger you get, the harder it is to keep those systems tight. And when I tell that story, people are like, oh, no way I would miss out on 50 grand. I was like, well, it's all relative. I bet you've lost $5 in the last year. I bet you have. I bet you've misplaced or lost it. It's fell out of your pocket. Somewhere you've probably lost $5. Would you agree with that? Jonathan? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> all right. So, all right. And that's with your current net worth, which I don't know, but I'm going to, I'm going to assume you're not worth $100 million. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm going to assume that. Are, are you worth thank, $100 Thank million? you, man. Appreciate that. I don't mean to be mean, but I'm not, or, or like, I'm, that's a lot of money. Are you worth, you might be worth a billion. All right, let's go with a billion. No, I'm not, I'm not worth either of those numbers. Okay. Well, <laughs> we'll say a billion to be safe because Jonathan on here might be sleeping on us with a hundred million. So we'll say you, you don't have a billion. So let's say if I gave you a billion, do you think it'd be a little bit easy to misplace 50 grand? Yeah. It could be. Yeah. Right. So this is, this is the thing that happens and budgeting is the same way. You just, you're, you're, you're the numbers change but the system doesn't really change. Of course, you get better strategies and your accountant helps you out, but the system itself doesn't change. You need to know what's coming in, you need to know what's going out and you need a system for all of those, mm-hmm. right? And the more accounts you have, you know, I, I manage, I think it's like 20 bank accounts between everything, it's a ton. And, and I don't suggest that for anybody because it's a lot, especially if you're not very diligent or organized. But the, the, the higher the number gets, I think the more strict you need to get with it. And it's, it's, a, it's almost backwards. Mm-hmm. Okay. So a couple of questions here, we, people have thrown in. So for each LLC that you have, and I remember we talked about this, can you just talk about for each LLC, how many bank accounts you have? And then if you have a credit or debit card and who has access to those? Yeah. So uh, we'll just go with one of the, I, I'll be on here all day. So we'll just go with AM Investments. 
So AM investments, we probably have just in that company, I would say somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 bank accounts. Uh, and every, um, every bank account, every investor has their own bank account, not for every house, but for every investor. So mm -hmm. keep in mind, we got anywhere actively between four and six private investors going at a time. Uh, some of those are bigger than others. Uh, so my wife and I, I can talk about us. We carry anywhere between one and five houses at a time inside of our account, inside the company. And that account is literally named Scholler. That's us. That's our last name. Mm -hmm. And uh, that has its own debit card, uh, which it can purchase supplies with. Uh, and then that account is audited at the end of the week. So if anything was purchased with that card, which house and property did it go to? And then it goes on our draw list, which we do once a week. And if we already have the investor's money, it still goes on the draw so we can go on the rehab valuator budget. But if we don't have the investor's money, then it goes on the draw and then a separate draw is emailed. So they only see their draw. We don't want to show everybody's draw. Mm -hmm. But that, we'll say investor A, we don't already have the rehab funds, but we spent or needed for the invoices that week, 10 grand to pay mm -hmm. everybody. Then that 10 grand gets broken down and emailed to that investor so they know what to send to us. And then they have their own draw for their, mm -hmm. for their, uh, for their rehab. And so uh, and I know it sounds convoluted, but for, I'm somebody, I don't do, somebody might do something completely different to me, then that's fine. But I double tap everything if I can. Mm -hmm. I love having like as many fail safes as possible, especially when you're talking about other people's money. I mean, keep in mind, people are giving us, you know, we have three to $5 million in rotation of other people's money. That's, that scares me because it should not because I know, don't think we'll ever get their money back or I'll lose their money, but it scares me. And I want it to keep me on edge because I want to respect their money as if it's my own. Right. Right. And just, let, you're going to have some hesitation. If you give $5 million to somebody else, some, some hesitation, <laughs> it'll, it'll be levels of it, but you'll always have some hesitation. And I want to avoid that for our investors. Mm -hmm. I want them to know you're giving me your money. John's going to protect it. If it's as his own and there's nothing that he wouldn't do to not give me my money back. So true. Different game. And uh, uh, it's a whole other conversation, but it's such an important one too, that people need to think about how they treat investors' money and also talk about investors' money. But um, just a couple other questions, I guess, just down this path. One question that we got, I thought it was interesting, is that some people, what they have is a checking account for their personal, like day-to-day -day operating expenses, you know, utilities, food, whatever, gas, automotive, and then they have, let's say, a bank account for each property or each business. And then associated to that, they either have a spreadsheet, PL, or a QuickBooks account for each property. You know, that's each his own. But one question I got, I was curious. And then, sorry, and then this is a common one. So they'll have their personal checking account. Then they'll have a, a bank account for each property or business. And then they'll also keep a savings account for buying more property, like an investment cash account. Okay. And I'd be curious for you. One question we got is for people asking, in their property accounts or in their business um, bank accounts that each month make net cash flow, they were wondering about how that money should flow. If it should flow into their checking account and then to, to keep a minimum in there and then flow directly into their, um, let's call it investment account, or if they think it should just maybe sit back in their um, property accounts, or if maybe they should be just keeping a certain amount in their checking account at all times. And maybe like, I'm just curious how you think that money could route in that situation. Cause I don't know why we've gotten that question a couple of times. So I'm of the belief and of the practice that every entity, every business, it doesn't have to be every house. If you're flipping, if one business is flipping five houses, 
that's its own business to me. Not every house is its own business at that point. But mm-hmm. if you have a if you have a rental business, if you have a, a flipping business and you have um, a CrossFit, right? Yeah, so let's say that example are, exactly. <laughs> right. These are all their own businesses and need to be treated as their own entities, their own person, if you will. And they all need to be a partner to you. So if you have a business you, and it's just you, you still have a partner. It's your business. If I, if Jonathan and I are partners, right, me and you are partners and we go in on a business, we have three partners. Our business is our third partner. Our business has to eat too. So you, if, if we make $100,000 on a, on a flip, Jonathan and I cannot take, unless it's just a joint venture, but if this is our own business and we're going to continue to grow this, we can't just take 50 grand home each. The business still needs to eat. Now, it doesn't necessarily need to eat a third, but it needs to have an emergency fund for any overhead that we accumulate. So if we have $5,000 in overhead every month to run this new business, then I would personally say that $15,000 needs to be in that account as an emergency fund or in a low yield or in a high yield 2% savings account somewhere you can quickly access it. And maybe you're trying to beat inflation, but it shouldn't be invested somewhere high risk because mm-hmm. we need that for overhead, especially, especially in a flipping business. We keep, we keep three to four months, we're climbing at every, because we're getting ready to do a new hire. And every time we do a new hire, our overhead goes up, but we keep about three to four months of emergency funds in our flipping business. Because keep in mind, in the flipping business, we can go three or four months without a flip. Not really so much anymore because we have so much volume, but it's possible. It's possible. We just went, we went January and February um, of not closing any deals. And at the end of February, we closed five in a week. So we went about a month, we went about a month and three weeks with no closings. Keep in mind, we started to pay, we got $100,000 plus in overhead at the business. We still had to pay the salaries. We still had to pay everybody. We still had to keep the lights on, right? So with the so after that is all deducted, and our emergency funds covered, so overhead and emergency funds covered. Now the partners can split up what's left. Mm-hmm. Now there's a third split, and if it says zero, that's your that's your pay. That's, that's your really pay. Good. You cannot you you should not go go taking money from other places. Because that's that's your uh, that's your lifeline, in my opinion. Now, if you can't eat that month, then maybe you got to borrow from the emergency fund, and that's what it's for. Mm-hmm. But guess who gets paid back first once you do get paid? Not you, the emergency fund. Then right. the emergency fund's full, and I would do that for every single entity, every single business that I have needs to carry itself. Because the last thing you want to do, and I've seen this so many times, is business A starts failing, business B is doing well. But now business, you have business B help business A, and now business B struggling, and business A is just hemorrhaging money. I've seen it too many times, uh, and I, I highly advise against that. Yeah, that's such a good point. Um, yeah, there's just there's just so much there. Are, are there any other favorite, I guess, best practices? It could be tools. It could be little trade secrets, whatever things that you think you do that maybe people could get benefit from in a budgeting standpoint if they implemented. I guess maybe because I'm in it right now uh, and, and, and it's not going to always be the case, but hire a good accountant. It, that, that's almost like your health. So when I help people with their personal budgets, two things I don't usually cut back on, depending. If they're extravagant, then absolutely. But your budget for your groceries, as long as they're healthy groceries, don't, don't cut back on your health. 
right? Because that's what you're, you're without your health, you have nothing. So if, if you're just saving money, but you're eating uh, one hot dog a day to save the money, this you're this is a uh, counterproductive. You're going to eventually get sick, and it's going to cost you more money. But now if you're buying like a bunch of uh, soda and Doritos and, and eating out every week, that's extravagant and that's got to be cut back. But your, your grocery budget's kind of a set budget that you need to spend and your health and your gym membership is kind of a set budget. So I won't even cut back people for CrossFit because CrossFit's, and not because I own one, but if CrossFit's expensive, it's, it, just, it just is comparatively. You're talking mm -hmm. about $150 versus a Planet Fitness that's a $10 a month, right? So you got a $140 difference. But if you're never going to go to Planet Fitness because the CrossFit keeps you accountable and you like the coaching atmosphere and it makes you come in there, then this is, this is the better money spent because it's your health, first of all, and you're going to go and maybe that extra money motivates you to go. So I will work almost everything else off your budget before I touch those two things. Mm. Uh, your grocery bill and your, and your, um, your gym, because it's your health. And then of course, if you have any like medical issues or uh, psychology, psychological issues, all these things pertain to health. We want to try to keep touch those budgets last. So that's the, that's the exact same thing here is like, you don't, you don't touch those things unless you have to, and that's your accountant. So mm. do not jip yourself on an accountant or try to bring this in house and save money or do it yourself, especially as you grow. This is money well spent. And take that for me right now, spending hours and hours and hours on a uh, on figuring out different allocations for these costs and where they were supposed to go. I, I, I wish we had vetted our previous accountant a little bit better. Well, one question on that. Some people, I think, get confused or stuck. And there's different accounting methods. That was like half the thing for me that I needed to learn. I was like, why is everyone telling me something different? They're, and that's because there's different accounting methods. Um, but like for you, some people also in our group are like uh, asking, well, okay, I have car maintenance that pops up, let's say uh, $1,000 a quarter or $1,000 every six months. I, I don't know, like it's on my budget, but like, should I be pulling money out of my checking account and putting that into an account somewhere? Like, I'm curious how you handle or recommend people um, like account for those type of expenses or are they being pulled out of the actual checking account or cash account into a separate account? Or is it just budgeted as a potential line item that you know you should be able to like cover if you needed? So the best thing about that, here's how I do car, here's how I do car repairs. Um, it goes into your emergency fund and how you account for it in your emergency fund is you can do one or two things. If you've had this car for a while, you can just say, hey, usually... Uh, over a year, I spent about $1,500 on maintenance and repairs on this car. So that's $1,500 divided by 12. You know, easy math because I don't have it. It's called 100 bucks a month, give or take, 125 mm -hmm. bucks a month times your three months emergency fund. And that's how much you keep in your emergency fund. And then if you need it, if, 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 if it comes up and you have extra money, just pay for it. But if you need it because it's going to hurt your budget that month or you had other plans for the money that's in your checking, then take it from the emergency fund because that's what it's there for. Buy the tires. And then after you buy the tires, so you don't have to use a credit card and pay interest on it, buy the card, buy the tires for cash with the emergency fund. And then next time you get paid, replenish the emergency fund and, and keep on going down the road. That's mm -hmm. exactly how you do it. So if the extra money's there and you don't need it, don't touch the emergency fund. But if it was at a cost that was not accounted for and you had other plans with that money, then use the emergency fund. That's what it's there for. A lot of people, and I'm bad at this, so I guess it's the pot calling the kettle black, but a lot of people never want to touch their emergency fund. Well, that's the point of it. 
The point of it is to be there, just make sure it's an emergency. A new Xbox is not an emergency, right? The new going out to Olive Garden is not an emergency, okay? What emergencies are, are things that you did not account for that you need, need, the word need, not want, need to keep on living the life that you're currently living or growing the way you are currently growing. That's, that's what the emergency fund's for. And you will need it from time to time, especially as you start out and then you get better and better with money. And then you have a higher income and more secure income. And eventually you don't, I'm careful how I'll say this, understand where you're at in life and where, and where you're saying and what you, uh, what level you're at. But eventually you don't necessarily need an emergency fund. Your businesses always do because they're always going to be risky, but you don't need one. You can leverage that money as long as you know what you're doing. This is for like 1% of people yep. who can leverage their emergency fund. But I don't, I, I still keep one. I still have an emergency fund. Mm -hmm. Okay, ah, man, this, I mean, you're doing a session on it with your group tonight. I feel like this, I mean, rightfully so, it's a whole other topic. Um, just just trying to rattle through some of these uh, uh, in the sake of time. One, one other one, and this one's been more top of mind for me. So it's a little selfishly, but I put it out to the question of the group and a lot of people have been giving different takes on it. How do you, if you do have retirement accounts set up? And one that we keep seeing a theme of as far as like answers is I have it set up this way because I want to be able to take out loans against it. I don't know if that's something that you think about if you have any type of these accounts, you know, 401ks or IRAs, Roth or um, health, um, not health, um, HSA accounts, things like that. So I'm just curious what, what you do for yourself and Rihanna. So the way we started was just simple Roth IRAs. Uh, and we still do those. We now have to backdoor them because uh, eventually you reach a certain income that you can't directly contribute to a Roth IRA. You have to put it into a traditional IRA first, and then you wait for that money to settle. And if you're a Vanguard like me, then you simply click the convert to IRA, convert to Roth IRA button. And it, it's just one extra step. People have to remember or think about, um, you know, the tax code is 98% to save us money, to save wow. us money. Well, when I say the word us though, that's a little bit tricky to save the wealthy money. So you're not, if, you, if you're starting off, you're not born into money, you weren't taught it. It's like taxes are there just to keep robbing you. And it is, if you don't understand them and you don't, and you make, uh, you, and you're a W-2, that's kind of the way it's set up. But if you learn the tax codes and you learn the strategies for better or for worse, whether you agree with it politically or not, you got to learn the game. And once you learn the game, you go, oh, who's writing the tax codes? Oh, wealthy people. So the wealthy people saw that there's a traditional IRA. Uh, you could do 6,000, Roth was 6,000 a year, depending on what your age. After 50, you can contribute a little, little bit more. Uh, and actually might be 6,500 this year, so don't quote me on that. Um, but either way, they saw that the Roth had a, a limit. Oh, well, we're, we're wealthy and we make more money than that. So we still wanna contribute to Roth. So they were like, well, just backdoor it. And they keep it a secret. They're like, just put it in the traditional, then convert it and nobody teaches you this. I bet I bet every single person listening to this never heard the word backdoor Roth conversion while in school. Not a single no, one of never. them. And, and that's because your teachers don't, didn't know about it. <laughs> um, so once you learn these strategies, it, it is beneficial to you. And that's just the Roth. Then you can do things like solo 401ks. So if you don't have any full-time employees directly under you, um, and even if you do, you, you, you just need to offer them the, the plans as well. But you can put up to $57,000 in a Roth every year. Wow. You can do $19,500 as your employee contribution. 
because just like a standard 401k, but you can do the Roth elective. So that's 19,500. And then you can do up to 20% of your, of your um, income for, your, for that business that year as an employee, as an employer contribution. Mm. So that up to the max of $57,000. So imagine most people are restricted to about 6,000 or $6,500 in Roth uh, contributions a year. People who know how to use the, utilize this strategy can do 57,000 a year. Who's going to win over 10 years? Enough said. And you can borrow with that money. You can self-direct it. There's there's so many things you can do with this stuff, but you do need to have a business, right? You got to have your own business in order to do this. And you got to be able to, you got to make the money. You can't contribute what you don't make. Uh, same thing with a traditional IRA or a Roth IRA. If you don't work that year, you can't contribute uh, or don't have income. So Mm -hmm. I mean, this would be a whole, Jonathan, I'd be on here for an hour and a half talking about all the, I mean, there's probably 12 to 15 different types of retirement accounts, 529s, 403Bs, you got a health savings account, the HSA you were talking about, you got thrift savings plans, if you're in the military, but you got to understand which one, you don't need to know them all, which one pertains to you and your goals and learn every single aspect about that. John, this could be a whole other topic and session, just uh, tight on time here. Uh, both both got a lot going on, man. I want to be conscious of your time. What's what's the best way for people, this great segue, what's the best way for people uh, in two minutes that we have to just learn about where they could get more connected on this stuff or check out some of your your small groups, your beginner stuff. And I just love how you're doing it, by the way. If you could just emphasize on that, that it's, it's very low price point and open to pretty much anyone. So first, if you just want to find me and vet me, which you should do with anybody that you're trying to get advice from. So I'm not going to just tell you to come join my group. You need to go see who I am, what I'm about. Am I serious about what I'm doing? Or am I living in my grandmother's basement and just pre preaching this stuff? No offense to anybody in the grandmother's basement. But you can find me at Instagram at The Frugal Investor. You can find me on YouTube at John Scholler. I've uh, been both on both of those accounts for years now, putting out consistent content. Uh, and then my wife and I recently opened up uh, a Discord through Patreon called More Than Money. And it's uh, $20, $25 a month to join in. And I have no problem pitching it or selling it because I, if I was 21 again, there is no brainer. If I was any age, but if I was back when I was 21 again and didn't understand this stuff, it would be a no brainer to me. Uh, I'm not saying the higher ticketed items are not worth it as well, but a lot of people don't have a thousand, two thousand dollars to join masterminds or to sign up for those every month. This is twenty, twenty-five dollars a month to what I call a pill in your pocket, and I got that. I got that from it's a medical term for something that you only take when you need it. And this is if you have a question that pops up in your mind, you come in the group and you ask the question, and it pertains to your particular. <laughs> particular situation and scenario, and we answer it based on your scenario. So if you go to Google and just say, um, do I need, uh, should I invest in an HSA? It's just going to tell you about an HSA. It doesn't know you, your savings account, where you're at in life and what your goals are. We help you figure that out. But we talk about real estate, finances, retirement, financial freedom, uh, IRAs, you name it. And then my wife covers nursing uh, and CRNA because she's a CRNA. So we kind of joined the two together because we wanted to work on something. It's called More Than Money and you can find it on Patreon or in the link if Jonathan is uh, nice enough to share it. John, man, there's never enough time to dig into all the topics that we could talk about, man. We're going to have to do some live I content. I feel like I talk fast. I try. Dude, no, it's just, there's so much, there's so much to talk about. And it's not like some people come on the show and it's like, all right, you know, delivering answer and nothing against anyone that does this. Everyone has a different delivery style, but 
you're bringing a lot of tactics and a lot of, you gotta, you gotta talk fast to get in a lot of these tactics, man. So we appreciate that. It's just, there's a lot of good topics to cover, man. So, um, we'll link all that stuff, um, and try to drive people to that group, man. And, and we got to do some more live content or just, uh, maybe have you on the Facebook group and we talk about budgeting or, or anything really just any of the stuff we talked about but just want to say thank you so much john we'll link everything and uh it's going to be fun to watch man and and see how you keep progressing in 2021 so thank you again awesome i appreciate you having me on and uh thanks everybody for listening i hope you found value in the content all right john see you later bud hey you millennial millionaire are you looking for help getting to the next level in real estate are you looking for accountability and strategy to achieve your goals if so, Jonathan is now taking on one-on-one -on -one students and opening a few spots in his private mastermind. It's affordable and welcome to everyone. If you had any questions or think you may need a boost, send Jonathan a message on Facebook or email at johnjfarber at outlook.com.